And it's another great moment in law enforcement history. Fellow citizens, welcome to a damn fine podcast, the podcast that's revisiting, reanalyzing, and re-enjoying, might I add, the TV show Twin Peaks in anticipation of the upcoming return to Showtime. I'm Tom Merritt. With me, Ron Richards. How are you, Ron? I'm good, Tom. How how are you doing? I am feeling fine. I haven't been shot in the gut. That's good. It's a good uh, place to be. Yeah. Locked in a room <laughs> in a lodge. So I'm doing fine. Excellent. And yeah. And so, uh, we've, we've recovered from season one and we're rested and ready to go for season two now. Right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, we left, we left poor agent Cooper just laying on the floor at the end of the last in, episode in a, in a shocking Dallas esque season finale. Yeah. Um, yeah. The highly anticipated pickup of season two. Uh, so let's get right into it. Um, so season two, episode one, no more debate over the episode numbers, right? <laughs> we are although, <laughs> although just to stick it to us, Wikipedia, who have been so nice on this. It's IMDB that has the weird numbers. Yep. Wikipedia lists the title of this episode as episode eight. Right. Yes, I saw that. Just to mess with us. <laughs> but we're not we're going to do that, folks. We're not falling for that. No, no, no. We're going to go with season two, episode one. Uh, German title is May the Giant Be With You, which... And also with you. Which is just one of the worst German titles ever. I mean, is it a Catholic May the Peace Be With... Or, you know, church, not just Catholic, but is it a church thing? Is it a Star Wars thing? I don't know. I don't know. Those Germans are so odd. I feel like, though, they could have called this May the Exposition Be With You. Uh, mm. because there's a whole lot of work to bring people up to speed in this episode. <laughs> there is. It's, it's for, for the time, very yeah. deftly done, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, uh, they, they, de- they definitely work it in at places where you know that it's exposition, but it doesn't, it isn't ridiculous for the characters to be say it, yeah. uh, maybe just exaggerated. Right. A little bit. So this was, uh, this, this is the, uh, the premiere episode of season two. It aired on September 30th, 1990, which I thought was interesting that it's a Sunday that it aired. So it's moving from its original Thursday time slot. Uh, this is not the last night this Twin Peaks will be on. They, it will move again. <laughs> and I'm trying to remember whether they did this because it was the premiere event and they put it on Sunday night. Or, that would make sense. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I need to look into next week's uh, the uh, next week's episode to see what day that aired. Um, but so this was written by Mark Frost and David Lynch. Um, actually, they wrote the story and then Mark Frost wrote the uh, teleplay. So they broke down the story and then Frost went, Frost, you go write the script. Um, and uh, this is directed by David Lynch. And... More so than ever, you can tell, like, especially coming off of watching the last batch of episodes of season one that were not directed by Lynch. When Lynch returns, he makes it very clear he's directing. He basically said, whatever I can get away with on network television, I'm going to do. I'm not going to play it safe. Not that he really (laughs) was playing it safe in season one, but you can tell he's like, I don't even care. They can fire me if they want. And what's interesting is that I read a bunch of I read a bunch of other critics and kind of analysis of this episode and it and some of the some and I'm curious what you think, Tom. And I saw a little bit of this in, in watching it, uh, preparing for this episode. But it was almost as if they took a lot of the elements that people liked in season one and just did it again, but turned it up a notch. Like almost, like almost, almost trying too hard. Yeah. The, no. I, and 
you got to remember that this is a time when, sure, some people did record episodes on VHS, but for the most part, a lot of people would be tuning in and not have seen previous episodes or maybe only seen a couple of episodes. And they wanted to make sure they could welcome people in and give them the feel. Right. Uh, and people didn't rewatch episodes a ton back then either. So even the folks who had seen it before, it sort of reminds them after a long break, hey, this is what this show's about. Yep. Um, and so, yeah, so it's just, I think that's good. That theme of trying too hard or, you know, kind of recreating the magic of season one, I think, is what's going to be the the underpinning story of this season, I think. Um, but we'll see. Uh, so this this uh, premiere episode was watched by 19.1 million households in the United States, and that represented about 20% of the available audience. And this would be the highest rating season two gets. And in fact, this begins the, the quick de- ah, <laughs> decline <yes>. in ratings. <laughs> the inevitable decline. Yep. And... Um, uh, yeah, and this episode and this episode was a two-hour premiere, and it clocks in at a whopping ninety-four minutes of content. Yeah, and uh, I, I think you were going to mention before we get into the episode discussion, different opening credits, so yep. it felt more like a pilot introductory movie type thing. Yeah, no, if you, if you remember back to the pilot episode when we talked about it, I was startled at the at the nearly three minutes of opening credits. Well, they returned to that, and I timed it, and it's nearly three minutes to the dot. I think it's like 2.57 or something like that, and it's just the really slow shots of Twin Peaks and the, the mill, which is funny because the mill's gone now, but... Um, uh, you know, just a lot of, you know, waterfalls and locations and things like that. I think every actor got their own screen. Like there was no du- 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 duplicate names on a screen. Right, right. Not duplicate, but multiple names on a screen. Um, and in fact, actually, we saw Kimmy Robertson, who plays Lucy, get added to the list of opening credits. Previously, she, was, she wasn't a full, you know, a full member of the ensemble. And now she gets graduated to that. And they removed Piper Laurie, who played Catherine Martell, from the credits because she presumably died in the fire. Well, yeah, you you don't you don't want to <laughs> you don't want to put Piper Laurie in the credits yeah. and have people go, well, obviously they're wrong about her being dead because there's Piper Laurie's name in the credits, yeah, exactly, right? She's yeah. she's gone. Yep. So, of course, her name is not going to be in the credits. Yeah. So. Oh, um, and by the way, uh, thanks to everybody who wrote in and pointed out that the sparks flying off of the machines in the credits are not, uh, uh, saw sharpeners. Yes. Which makes sense. So yeah. got that. So now we know. Yes. Thank you for everybody who wrote in for that. Awesome. So. <laughs> All right, so uh, diving into it, uh, where do we want to start with this sucker? <laughs> Should we well, start uh, start at the cliffhanger? <laughs> well, I, I guess should we start? We usually save the case for the end. Yeah, but there's so much case. There's so I think I, yeah, I think and, I think and it makes the sense. other yeah. the other pieces feel a little bit out of place. Do we start with the case this time? I then? think we start with the case. I think because because again, so much of this episode. I mean, this is a jam packed episode. Yeah. And I would, if I had to do like a, a a visual representation pie chart of this episode, I would give like a third to exposition, like a third, yeah. a third to wacky David Lynch, you know, being David Lynch, and then like a third to actually moving the story forward. Um, yeah, you know, and it just seems right to begin where we ended. Yeah, the last episode, which is Cooper is lying on the floor and he's bleeding. And thank goodness someone has arrived, Ron. He's going to be saved. Jeez. <laughs> oh, so I, so he, before he got shot, Cooper ordered room service to get some warm milk in, in the season finale of season one. And he gets a phone call, and we hear that it's Andy on the end of the, on the phone saying, Cooper, Cooper. And then he gets shot. Now he's laying on the ground. 
The milk gets delivered by none other than possibly the oldest waiter known to known to man. It is a a very senior citizen working the overnight shift, which I guess is okay in Twin Peaks. But yeah, he can't go to sleep anyway at his age. Yeah, so yeah, <laughs> so he's room, always up late. So the room service guy delivers his milk, um, and Cooper thinks, "Oh, God, thank God, I'm safe." He, he says, "Please call a doctor," and the guy just nods and then proceeds to hang up the phone and doesn't call the doctor. Why? I I still I still have problems with this. Why does he hang up the phone? Why does he just blanch at calling a doctor? I mean, yeah. is it just that he is so set in his ways as an old man waiter that anything that gets in the way of him delivering the milk and leaving with a signed check, he just doesn't want to deal with? Yeah, it's very straight. I don't know. Yeah, it was, and also he goes to hang up the phone, and it takes him a bit because he's ninety. But yeah. like, it's just. <laughs> Well, and then there's the whole the whole bit like the bit is that he's not helping Cooper, even though Cooper's lying on the ground. He yes. just doesn't want to get involved. So he's pretending like that's normal and then comes back several times. I heard about you. Thumbs up and a wink. Thumbs up. Yep. Then and I heard about you. No wink. <laughs> then comes back a third time for a wink and a thumbs up. And, and, and so this is something that we call in comedy the rule of threes. Right, mm-hmm. which is first time, first time nothing, second time annoying, third time hysterical, yeah. and I I do got to give Lynch credit here to have the waiter do his bit, deliver the milk, get the bill signed. I like how Cooper in his pain stops to ask if gratuity is included, uh, which, is, yes. which is nice, um, and then tell him he's heard about him, give him the thumbs up, walk away, and then come back. Not help him, but just say again, I heard about you, walk away, and then come back. And just this time with the thumbs up, I was I had to pause the show. I was laughing so hard. It was yeah, no, it's it's crazy. Uh and then of course we go right. So we go into something that's a little surreal. Like, yeah. why isn't this old man helping the guy who's obviously bleeding on the floor? Then something truly surreal, which is the return of our giant friend. Yes. Ret- return, have we seen him before? Oh wait, no, you're right. No, I'm yeah. saying return because I've seen this so often, but this is the first time we got to see him. Yeah, so 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 the so Cooper's laying on Midgets, the ground. Season the, one, right. giant season two. Which yeah. I like the yin and the yang. We went from a yeah. uh, from a, a short person to a very very tall person. But yeah, the the room goes dark, and then it becomes very dramatically lit, and it appears dressed very similarly to the old man waiter. He's like the alternate universe because his shirt is dark where the yes. old man waiters is white. But they're but both yeah, wearing bow ties. He's got the bow tie yeah. and yeah. And um and what and so what I, I just thought the transition between the you know kind of yucks of the comedy of this of, of the, just the oddness of this waiter into the weird just right out of the gate. You know, this is this is oh, this is first five minutes of the of the, sh- of the show. Yeah, let's you know? just let everyone know what kind of show they're watching. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah. So uh, the, a giant appears and that giant was played by Carol. Sh- Carol Struken. 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 Um, if you shout while you say it, they can't tell if you're mispronouncing. Right. Struken. Um, and you might recognize him uh, right around the same time in the early 90s. Uh, he played Lurch in the Adams Family movie. Um, oh yeah, and then if you go and look at his IMDb page, he's pretty much played a giant and every other thing that ever requires a giant. Uh, most recently, he was in an episode of Gotham where he played tall monster. So, oh. so poor guy. You know, sometimes being typecast just means steady work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but he's a great giant, and he's German. Yeah, so, he is. Yeah, so he's he's very good, and. I love what Mark Frost and David Lynch do, and they do this quite a bit in Twin Peaks. We've remarked on it before, where is he really seeing a giant or is he seeing a giant in a bow tie because he just saw the old man in a bow tie and he's imagining it, right? right. It, it makes it plausible that this is just a fever dream. But the giant tells him three things. Yes. 
uh, to look for a man in a smiling bag. The owls are not what they seem. And without chemicals, he points. And then he also says, Leo locked inside a hungry horse. There's a clue at Leo's house. Yeah. Uh, which, so, is, which is like very specific. Like the, the thing, a man in smiling bag, owls are not what they seem. Without chemicals, he points. Those are all kind of vague. But then he's like, no, I'm going to drop some really specific shit on you, man. Like there's a clue at I've Leo's house. <laughs> and then like one really, really specific, easy yeah, thing. Exactly. Uh, and. It also does something which we had in season one with who killed Laura Palmer, which is still obviously yeah. not solved, but it sets us up with something to look for. Like, yeah. oh, well, what do these things mean? Let's let's keep an eye out for these clues. So it's yeah. a little game for the audience to play as we go along. Yeah. And um, what I also think is interesting, um, going back to uh, the, the point about is this real or is this happening or not, or is this in Cooper's head, similar to the, you know, to the previous dream with the little dancing man, um, this time the giant takes Cooper's ring – and says, "I'll give it to you when you've when you've solved when you, when you've solved all like the, there's a physical action that happens." And right. so when Cooper, Cooper wakes up, he realizes that his ring is gone. Yeah, um, and he 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 knows that something did happen, yeah. even if if part of it was imaginary. Yeah, because yeah. the question is, where have you gone? Yeah. Says the giant. Which is oh, it's so weird. And like this yeah. is like, and I remember watching this when it was first on. Like, because keep in mind now, so. Season one ends on that cliffhanger at the end of May. So now we have had three months of analyzing, talking. There was probably bad articles in TV Guide about it, right? I know there was articles in Entertainment Weekly about it. You know, speculating, wondering. And then it comes back and it just goes immediately to the to Looney Town. Yeah. Uh, and he's and he's alive. Yeah. And obviously, you know, we'll get to him being saved, but he's he's going to live. Yeah. Uh, he starts talking to Diane, hoping that the voice activation is on on his dictaphone, which immediately made me wonder, well, why doesn't he go rewind to hear what the giant said? Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Did it record that whole interlude? Yeah. Or yeah. did it record the old man? Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, he starts talking about being shot, not being as bad as he thought. Uh, he makes him think of all his regrets. That's when he notices the ring is gone. Yep, and he's reflecting on his life, going over the things that he would like to do. He's like, I'd like, yeah. to, I'd like to make love to a woman who I have a real affection for. Love to a beautiful so woman with genuine affection. <laughs> I, would, I would like to have cracked the Lindbergh kidnapping case. <laughs> Lindbergh. <laughs> oh, he's great. And then, and then of course, he, he hopes that Tibet, those people get their country back and the Dalai yeah. Lama can return. Right? Climbing a hill and sitting in cool grass, not too cool, and feeling the sun warm, not too warm. <laughs> but if you, if you step back and separate that one bit from the whole thing, it's very, it's very warm and, and gives you some insight into Cooper's psyche. Definitely. And it's consistent with other things we've learned about Cooper, obviously, with Tibetan and everything. Uh, His love of nature and the pines and all of that. But finally, finally, after all this chicanery, 15 minutes maybe into the the episode, (laughs) Truman and Hawk show up, guns drawn. (laughs) I I remember watching it going, oh, my God. Like, how long? Like, Andy was on the phone going, Cooper, Cooper, for an eternity. And you got to wonder how much longer before he realized the phone was hung up on him. (laughs) Yeah, right. Uh, like, what's the what's the outtake on the other end of Andy just continuing to? Yeah. I think he hung up. And it, and it was it was. I, I remember watching it. I remember being annoyed that uh, finding out early that Cooper was alive. Not not that Cooper was alive, but that because he was wearing a bulletproof vest. But the question of okay, so then why is he bloody? Um, but Cooper reveals that he had he a, he had a a wood tick that was giving him a problem, and so he had folded up the bulletproof vest to get to the wood tick. 
Um, and that's why he was able to get shot. And then so Hawk and Truman bring him to the hospital, and Dr. Hayward's working on him, and points out, goes, well, that's one hell of a way to get rid of a tick and show us a close-up of the bullet with the tick on the end of the bullet. What are the odds yeah. of the shooter shooting the, the tick? Like, now, is- here's the other thing. Like, there was no indication that he was fighting a wood tick yeah, as he none. opened his door. None. Uh, it, if you were going after a tick, you get the tick, you grab it, and you pull it out. Uh, yeah. and, and so there's so many things wrong, but I don't even care yeah. because the, the payoff is So hilarious. it really makes you wonder whether or not they intended to pick it up the way they did. This is a problem that we call the lost problems. And when they're making a TV show and do a bunch of stuff and then need to figure out how to get in or, or out of it. And I really, I get the sense with this whole season that they spent the summer going, okay, well, what do we do now? And yeah. there might have been, a, there might have been a world where Cooper didn't survive this gunshot, possibly. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, and yeah. and they probably came up with the tick idea just while brainstorming, like yeah, you know, yeah. it'll be really funny, because yeah. uh, they're gonna say like, why didn't he have a bulletproof vest on? Like. Yep. Because he's supposed to. He yeah. had one on before. How does he get shot? So, yeah, yeah. They, they they may have. It's quite possible they, they might have realized the inconsistency after yeah. writing that episode and shooting that episode and decided, well, let's come up with a hilarious way to explain it. Yeah. Uh, Truman, uh, I'm sorry, Cooper doesn't remember much. A masked face, a muzzle flash. So we've got, a, we still got the mystery of who shot Cooper. Uh, and then Lucy gets a nice chance to recap everyone who hasn't seen the show on all of the things that happened and who got shot well, and killed. And also, I like I like the fact that they so they're in the hospital and Truman asks Lucy to 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 catch Cooper up on what happened, and so she just goes over everything that has happened that night. Where where what was it? So Doctor Jacoby was attacked and had a heart attack. Um, uh, Leo was shot. Jacques Le- Renault strangled. The Le- mill burned. <laughs> Catherine and Josie are missing. Nadine's in a coma. She- Shelley's in with smoke inhalation. Pizza. Yeah. Right, right. Asia. And Cooper just goes, how long have I been out? They said it's 7 a.m. Like, you know, like, and then Doc Hayward goes, we haven't had this much activity or this much action since the Elks Club fire of 59, which <laughs> made me immediately want to know what happened at that Elks Club in 1959. <laughs> I know, man. Maybe we'll get that story in the Showtime show. I hope we do. Uh, then Cooper, of course, because they're like, oh, this is the season premiere. So we can't have Cooper lay in the hospital the whole time. Let's just have him go against the doctor's orders and try to get up. And he talks about the power of the will and recuperative powers. But also they, they throw in a little bit of reality with him needing a quite a bit while like a couple of hours to get dressed. Yeah. Gosh. And of course, so he, he he gets up, he gets out of bed, he gets back in his suit and they're leaving. Doc Hayward's yelling at him not, not to go. And they see Jacques Renault's uh, body being wheeled out uh, in a body bag, and Cooper stops and wonders out loud, "Is that bag smiling?" Not yet, not, not yet, yet Coop. Yeah. yeah Although so. I love Lucy's, like, what's there to smile about? Right. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. So I, again, like much like uh, at, uh, the season finale of season one, where everybody ended up at the at One Eye Jacks. Here, the hospital is the centerpiece of the episode, where everybody it's it's like every, it's like an episode of ER. Everybody's going in and out of this right. hospital all day. Yeah. yeah but um. finally, Doc Hayward has something to doctor. Uh, <laughs> then then we go to Leo's house. Uh, wait, because wait, 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 the tip, bef- right? Bef- before we go to Leo's house, Doctor H- Doc Hayward finally has something to doctor. That's going to come in later in the episode, by the way. So remember yes, that. Is. Yeah, listener, yeah. please listener. <laughs> uh, yeah, so at Leo's house, uh, they're reconstructing the scene of the crime, deciding, you know, where the shooter was, and Cooper used showing his investigatory acumen. And I love uh, the bit 
where he talks about the TV moving and they say, well, maybe they just moved it. And he says, this is a big TV. Yes. <laughs> and, like, and it's what, 19 inches maybe? Well, no, but it, it's it's back when TV was a piece of furniture. TVs was, were heavy then. It, it, was, yeah, the, it was the wood frame TV, right? Yep, like yep. it was yeah, this whole this whole piece. But yeah, he does. Um, I also like as Leah, as uh, Cooper's trying to break down what happened, he said there was a struggle. You know, he's doing the forensics kind of view of it. You know, Leo lifted the the axe and da-da-da. And Chef Truman just keeps assuming it's with Shelly to the point where Cooper's got a – I don't know if Cooper's injured, but he's very short with Truman and goes, Sheriff, get your mind off Shelly. Which was <laughs> just like, wow, okay, maybe Cooper is hurt, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, that almost reads to me like a writer who's doing this script notices that he's just written that line. And instead of revising, it's like, well, I'll just have Cooper call it out. Why yeah. not? <laughs> Uh, I, that that did make me laugh, but um. Hawk then uh, finds an issue of Flesh World, and it's a new issue that we haven't seen before, apparently. Yeah. Uh, and uh, or and Leo's uh, duster smells of gasoline. Well, I, what I loved about this is that we get a now third issue of Flesh World, and no one is surprised. Like they're just like up oh, another Flesh World, right? Yep. <laughs> and I like it's that's all part of this case. That's the thing that's, too. That's yeah, and and again, that's going to come up later. Um, but, uh, and then, and then he's got Leo's duster folded very nicely in a square and he says, Leo's duster, <laughs> which I just, I'm fascinated with Leo's duster. I love it. I just love it. So I want to yeah. know, did Leo fold the duster or did Hawk fold the duster? That's what I want to think. Know. I'd like to think Hawk did it. Yeah. You know? I would think so. Yeah. Very careful, right. uh, yeah. uh, preservation of the evidence. Yeah. So, uh, of- but then we get into the slapstick as <laughs> Albert shows up. Yeah, so I, I thought that this is neat. We get Miguel Ferrer back as uh, Special Agent Albert Rosenfeld, and um, uh, apparently he's been dispatched by Gordon by Gordon Cole to uh, help Cooper because he's been injured. Um, yeah, we get a Gordon Cole name check. That's yeah. nice. And so uh, Andy is outside the house looking for clues, and he sees uh, he sees uh, Albert show up, and so he's going to warn the sheriff. So he starts yelling, "Sheriff, sheriff!" And, and then I don't know if this is the worst moment of the pilot or the best moment of the pilot. Not pilot. I'm sorry. This episode premiere, right? Of the season two premiere. <laughs> the season yeah. two premiere. So yeah. I don't know if this Andy is... running in does an Andy thing. Yep. Uh, board, loose board on the porch, flips up, hits him in the face. He's bleeding. Yep. Uh, and he's staggering. And at first, it just feels like, oh, it's another Andy scene. But then he's duck walking. Yep. Right? Like he's kind of half crouched with a stupid grin. And he does this. Four minutes, like it doesn't stop through the rest of the scene. And and what's what's great is that you get a combination. You get so Andy doing the weird trying to walk and get his bearings again, but then cut to Cooper and Truman watching this happen. Then cut to Albert trying not to laugh. Right, and it's just like, and it goes on for a very long time. Yeah, <laughs> and, and and in fact, there's a conversation, a brief conversation between Albert and Truman and Cooper. Uh, the loose board reveals that there are some new boots, and and we now see a print on the bottom of the boots that we know to look out for, and bags of cocaine. And they hadn't been able to find any evidence of cocaine up until that point because apparently they didn't think to look under the porch. I, be- I believe Albert's uh, reaction to Andy's maneuver was a- another great moment in law enforcement history, and which gets a chuckle. But then Truman is all too pleased to point out to Albert that, no, a- this is how Andy works. <laughs> yeah, apparently uh, it is yeah. one of the greater moments, actually, Albert. <laughs> oh, man. But, uh, but yeah, so, yeah, again, I-, I mean, it's very, very funny and in retrospect watching it. But I also, like, couldn't help but I was like, wow, this is going on a very long time. This is Lynch being Lynch. 
Um, yeah, he's like, no, and no, and because 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 Andy is probably like, well, when do I stop? And yeah. Lynch says, don't. Yeah, just right, exactly. Keep just doing keep, it. Keep doing it. Yeah. And yeah. which is which is again, which the Lynch directing versus another more traditional director. I don't know if they indulge that. He yeah. would have like sat down or walked out of frame or something or like that. Or it just would have been like the board hits on Wong and he knocks yep. down and, and then they move it. on, right? Yeah, but yep. but like Lynch lets these scenes breathe in a more cinematic kind of way, which is that's the different, you know, that's that's why I think part of season two's faltering is the fact that you you it's over twenty some odd episodes, you don't get enough of that taste of Lynch that we did in the first eight. Then, of course, Albert is investigating Cooper's shooting, so he is investigating Cooper's wound Mm -hmm. and uh, surmises that the person was five foot six, right handed. Uh, And then we we find that Andy has found out that Leo Johnson was locked in a jail in Hungry Horse, Montana and on February 9th, 1988. That's based on Cooper just saying, look up Hungry Horse and locked. Yep. Uh, from the Giants tip. And, of course, this brings up our first reference to Teresa Banks. Yes. Uh, yeah. So the fact that Leo was locked up in, in Hungry Horse, Montana, on the night that Teresa Banks was murdered, uh, Leo has an alibi. So he, that eliminates him from being the person that they thought, all, you know, they Cooper arrived in Twin Peaks because the Laura Palmer case sounded a lot like the Teresa Banks case. And yeah. but this now eliminated Leo from that, which uh, becomes an important uh, aspect of it. So yeah, our first our first Banks mention of the season. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah. So one thing that happens while they're at the they're back at the station doing that. Um, one thing I thought was weird was that so Mike the one our man shows back up, um, uh, and saying that he's here to sell Sheriff Truman some shoes and have a creepy smile, and then they never revisit him in that whole episode. No, and. I believe the reason for that is they wanted to have Mike in this episode to throw people a a clue and say, oh, well, maybe this is the suspect. Maybe he shot Agent Cooper. Maybe he killed Laura uh, because all that scene does is make Mike look creepy. Yeah. Yeah, really creepy, really weird and creepy. But um, so while they're back at the station, Trum, uh, if you remember, James was in lockup because of the cocaine in his motorbike, or his motorbike, his motorcycle. Um, his motorbike. Motorbike. <laughs> he's really in a motocross. Um, but so uh, so he's in the interrogation room with uh, with Sheriff Truman uh, and trying to explain what he was doing the night before. And he's trying to protect Donna, but he's just lying left and right. You know, he's saying that he was alone at, at Jacoby's office, that he yep. didn't break in, that the door was unlocked, you know, ignoring Sheriff Truman's questions. He's like, Sheriff Truman's like, how did you know he wouldn't be there? And he's like, the door was unlocked. Right. <laughs> Just like, um, but then it gets to talking about Laura and James gives us a little more information about hanging out with Laura back when she was on drugs and how she would recite these poems that, you know, that used fire a lot. And they would say, would you, you know, would you like to play with Bob? Um, and Would you so, like to play with fire, little boy? Would yeah. you like to play with fire? Would you like to play with Bob? Yeah, which is our first mention of Bob. Which, right? You know, for those not to spoil it for anyone who hasn't, who is th- who's watching along with us, but Bob will become a key part of it. Um, well, and and previously we had heard that she talked crazy and ran into the woods. Yeah. So this is a bit of a recap or or update for people who are just joining the show, but it also elaborates. So it gives us yeah. who, people who do know all of this already a little more information. And uh, yeah, exactly. But it also kind of falls on the failure of the writers and that they're making this up as they go because James, and I wrote this down verbatim because this stuck with me, James says to Truman, Laura said a lot of nutty stuff. Half the time it went right by you, but this, this stuck. 
right? And so, yeah. okay, it's been like a week, James. Maybe you could have told us about this when we first had you in the you office. No, he like, was afraid. He was. Yeah. A, he didn't want to talk to the cops. He wasn't sure he could trust them, what he could say. Yeah. Uh, yeah, of course he didn't say it yet. Yeah. <laughs> he was in grief. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, and then, of course, Cooper... Now, I will forgive a lot of the, like, Cooper is a detective genius and does things that you wouldn't expect. But demanding the necklace and then having James say, how did you know? And that convoluted explanation of because you and Laura were were in love. And even though uh, you didn't have it before, I knew you would somehow get it back. That that whole thing started to stretch even my credulity. Again, these are these they're Mark Frost trying to sew together a narrative based off of all these little pieces they left on the floor. Right? Yeah, an, an admirable job. I'm not, yeah. I'm not uh, faulting Mark Frost. Yeah. Now, I will I will say that, you know, so he, he asked James for the necklace and then James says that he found out Jacoby's in a coconut. I did like Cooper's line read of a coconut. Hmm. Uh, but uh, also... Why was Jamie allowed to keep the necklace in his pocket while he was in jail? Yeah, why they yeah, did they search take him? all those sorts yeah. of things away from you? Exactly, it feels very lax. It was very lax in this jail, and we'll get to that later as well too. They but, are um, distracted. Yeah, but um, but I, I I will say at least they owned up to when so James leaves and and Truman asks Cooper you know to explain himself and he goes to that whole convoluted and it pretty much ends with him saying yeah sometimes you get lucky. <laughs> yeah, that's right, and uh, that that's why I think Mark Frost is like, look, I'm going to give it a shot, and yep. if you don't buy it. It was luck. Yep, exactly. Um, but of course, you know. So uh, while they're still at the office, uh, Flesh World comes back. Apparently, Diane has contacted the publishers of Flesh World, who are happy to comply with the Federal Bureau of Investigation, and have sent several boxes of all back issues of Flesh World. And Cooper asks of all people, Lucy and Andy, to f- read through them to find photos of Teresa Banks, <laughs> which is just awkward. So- you know, and I, I actually every time I watch this, I think. They're going to be they're going to make more out of this than they do. Yep. I'm like, oh, this is another chance to show Lucy and Andy being very awkward. And they do show it, but it, it, it actually passes fairly quickly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so from there, Cooper and Truman are back to the hospital, back to the hospital. Um, and where they're going to talk to Dr. Jacoby, who's woken up um, and. Uh, they, and he, he asks a point blank about the necklace and Jacoby explains the whole thing following Donna. We get some, Oh wait, but before we get, before we get to that, you, you, this is the introduction of the running bit yes. about the food <laughs> in the hospital, which looks disgusting. Yep. And, it, and it, basically I feel like what they did was said, Hey, hospital food is always a joke. Yep. We either don't make jokes about hospital food or we just overdo it. And that's yep. what they do in this episode. It, it almost becomes like borderline airplane Zucker brothers level, Definitely. Recurring yeah. gag, yeah, yeah. So this is the first mention of it where Doc Hayward is examining Jacoby and he can't explain it. His blood pressure, asking if he's on anything, and the nurse is like, "Well, no, he just ate some of his food." And they cut to the bubbling well, gross food. That explained it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But um, but so Jacoby starts explaining what happened that night. We get some flashback footage to the pilot where we, you know, the 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 burying of the necklace and things like that, which I thought was always nice. Um, and then some more kind of Doctor Jacoby psychoanalysis of Laura. Wondering if Laura allowed herself to be killed that night. Not so much. That Even she, though Agent Cooper said, I don't want any psychobabble out of Yeah, him. exactly. Uh, yeah. But saying that she didn't commit suicide, but maybe she allowed herself to be put into danger. And we get that swell of music again. And like that, and like this whole, like whenever people are talking about Laura, we get that romantic reminder of, which I think the music yeah. plays into it so well of what the, what the story is all about. And this was, this was a nice use of that as well, too. Um, but and, and a fairly complex motivation for television at the time to say it wasn't 
wasn't someone who committed suicide. It wasn't someone who was just a victim. It was someone who intentionally put themselves in harm's way because they were despondent. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Which, which is, which is interesting. And, and uh, again, trying to remind us, like, that's the thing too, is that like the whole country wants to know who killed Laura Palmer. So it's almost, I'm glad they had this in because they take their sweet time to solve this. And we need reminders of what was going on with Laura and the scene with James and the scene with this is building back that emotional curiosity about Laura. So, um, but Jacoby does have, uh, he does, uh, they, they ask him about Jacques Renault. Uh, speculating whether he he killed Jacques Renault and he goes I was laid up guys and he goes but I do remember a smell uh, like scorched engine oil in the hospital right around the time of that happening so there's a smell right and uh, for those few of you watching this for the first time along with us uh, note that scorched engine oil yep, that yep. that is an important smell to keep in mind yep. um, and so as they're leaving the hospital they see Bobby uh, visiting Shelley and uh, you know three investigators they're like oh there's Bobby and then they just let him be. Yeah, well, he's not, he's no longer a person of interest. Yep. So, um, yeah. and then they go and they visit with Ed, and we're going to talk about that after we get through the case stuff. But uh, Ed, uh, Big Ed, is there as well, waiting on Nadine. So, um, but uh, um, after they visit Ed, uh, Cooper rounds the corner and he sees that previous body bag that was holding Jacques Renault hanging uh, in a kitchen, or not kitchen, in a, in a utility closet, I guess, drying out, and uh, it sure looks like a smile. But there's no man in it anymore. Yeah, I know, yeah. <laughs> but there was earlier, and he yeah. noted is the bag smiling. So he knew a man had been in it, and this bag is now smiling. So that is the smiling bag that the man was in, and there we go. Yeah. I don't know what this does other than make you as a viewer go, aha, the man in the smiling bag. Because all the giant said was, when you see these things, you will then believe me. Well, I think that that's what it is, is that it was the giant predicting the things that Cooper but was But wouldn't the see. hungry horse thing playing out be enough? Right, yeah. Well, but it, I guess but, not. But, but no, but also the giant told Cooper he wouldn't get his ring back until he saw all three of them. Right, right? but the so. whole point of the whole exercise is just so he'll believe the giant. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Weird. Anyway, it's fun. Uh, but we so- also uh, right after that we get a quick uh, gag with the doctor walking up to uh, to yeah. the desk, the nurses station, and saying, uh, "You need to speak to the kitchen." Yeah. And and even between that, there was a whole bunch more food bits with the other people that are in the hospital, which will continue totally. on. But yeah, it's yeah, very funny. But so then at that point, Cooper turns to Harry and says, "Let's get back to the station. I'm all ready to lay this out." And uh, and uh, Truman asks if you want donuts, and he goes, "Of course." So Harry, that goes without saying. Yeah. Um, so then uh, later in the episode, they're back at the station, and they're all uh, the, everybody's in the conference room. Albert and and Cooper and Truman and, and Lucy donuts. and and, yeah, and donuts and and um, uh, who else? Andy is there as well too. And um, this is this was a delightful scene of both exposition in terms of explaining us what we knew about the case up to this point to bring you up to speed, but also again that Cooper being the the master investigator laying out the night Laura died. Yeah, um, and, and honestly, a, another example of where you knew it was exposition for those who hadn't watched, but also as a viewer who's confused. Let's be honest, Twin Peaks doesn't have the simplest plot. Right. It nicely laid out the entire Laura Palmer case. For you, and and it gives you a clearer view of it. Yeah, no. So so it says that you know Laura Laura wrote in her diary she's nervous about meeting Jay. We believe that to be James. Um, she hangs out with Jay, but she also mentioned the guy in the red Corvette. You know, so she jumps off the James's motorcycle, runs into the woods at Sparkwood in twenty one, where she meets up with Leo. Um, and Leo and Ronette go up to and Laura go up to Jacques' cabin. They party at Jacques' cabin. Waldo the bird, you know, scratches Laura. Um, they tie Laura up. They all have sex. Blah blah blah. Uh, Jacques passes out. 
uh, Leo and the gr- girls leave, but then there's evidence of a third man. Now, my question to you is, yeah. he says, Hawk found evidence of a third man outside the cabin. Did I miss that in season one, or is this the first mention of the third man? Were you not reading over the case files? I know, yeah, I should have. Yeah, because it's in the report. <laughs> I don't know if we've mentioned it on the that, show. That attention to detail, Merritt. That's why you're. That's why you're a higher but security yeah, level if than you're, I am. Yeah, if you're on the case, obviously <laughs> you would know that Hawk had found evidence of it. But that was well, that, Hawk's a tracker, true. as we know. Yeah. So he probably went back to the scene to do some extra investigation. I feel investigation. like that's a big deal that they just kind of laid in as if it always had happened. You know, they've been working on the scene for a while. It's not something <laughs> they saw the first moment they arrived, yeah. but. So so, yeah. so now that we we hear that there was a third man at the cabin, uh, Cooper says he he believes that the uh, the, th- the the third man took Laura and Ronette. He believes Leo left without the girls. The third man took Laura and Ronette to the train car. Uh, that's where he murdered Laura and uh, wrote the note uh, "Firewalk with me" in his own blood. Um, yeah, and, and the blood doesn't match. Yeah. And honestly, you don't have to find evidence of a third man outside. You just right. have the blood not match any of the people in the train yeah, car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you've got evidence of a third man there. Yeah, but yeah. This, this is a direct result of the movie version having to have a, a killer identified that then becomes somewhat of a different character in the television series. Yeah, yeah. So, oh, jeez. Anyway, so as there, and there's much more detail about the night that Laura died. And yeah. that detail uh, drives Andy to cry. Um, which is very sad and touching, which then yep. then drives Albert to mock him and make fun of him in front of everybody, which then leads to Andy losing it on Albert. And I love how Andy can never get his last name right. Right, Albert Rosenfar. <laughs> <laughs> but it still does not fail to impress Lucy. Yep. <laughs> also, I like that when they go through the list of the dead people, they do not fail to mention Waldo the bird. Yeah, right, which is sad. Um, no, I think he does mention Waldo the Bird. No, they, that's what I say. They yeah. do not fail. Oh, right, to they do not fail. Yes, yeah. exactly. So they, they, Cooper they make says, sure they mention all the deaths, including Waldo. Yep, he, he outlines that Laura is dead, Ronette, Ronette's in a coma, Leo's in a coma, Jacques is dead, Waldo is dead, like just kind of saying how their their options are getting smaller. Yeah, uh, it's a third man, and they don't know who it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, you know, that kind of wraps up this day in Twin Peaks in the case. And so Cooper makes his way back to the hotel and he's in bed and he's trying to make sense of what happened with the giant uh, while talking to Diane, uh, trying to figure it out. Um, and then, of course, falls asleep and the giant returns. Um, well, and this is I, I want to note this, too, because uh, and maybe this should, I should have been saved for Diane's notes, but it's the first time he calls himself Dale to yeah. Diane, implying yeah. a bit of familiarity. There's, yeah, there's definitely a relationship there that we don't know mm-hmm. about. Yeah, so, um, but yeah, so the giant wakes him up, and now he is much more alert than previously when he was shot, and he's yeah. he's trying to talk to the giant, and the giant tells him just like it's better to listen. Like, yeah. just don't, don't don't ask me questions. <laughs> also, I love that the giant's like I forgot to tell you something. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> And he, t- he tells him in, in very flowery dialogue, flowery dialogue, which is, I think, some of Mark Frost's best stuff is the Giants dialogue. Yeah. Um, but you Don't know, t- search for all the answers at once. Right. A path is formed by laying one stone at a time. Yep. One person saw the third man, which now, because we know there's a third man, the Giant could say, which he couldn't say before. Yeah. Yeah. Three have seen him, yes, but not his body. One only known to you, ready now to talk. One more thing. <laughs> You forgot something. Right. So now, is the thing he forgot 
Audrey's note or is it something well, they, else? They cut the right question. to showing Audrey's note, right? right? Yeah. So yeah. I'm assuming that's I it. I see that's it too. Um, so yeah, so... We, oh, I love that the giant sends a burst of light at Cooper for some reason. Yeah, before if, <laughs> I think that's some sort of, I mean, it's a visual representation of crossing the planet, you know, like out of, into that world, back into our world. Yep. But um, also very early 90s effects, but yeah. Um, so yeah, so I, I, I think this is, you know, very skillful writing and that they've introduced the concept of the third man and now we conveniently are getting more information about him. So, um, that's good. And if only they would, uh, bring in the third man theme from the movie, the third man, that, that would be perfect. Um, but so then that transitions us from Cooper's bedroom at the hotel and we get some David Flinch, uh, David Lynch flickering lights at the hospital as his signature yeah, kind of, you know, yeah. that kind of stroby. And we see Ron at Pulaski, who we saw earlier in the episode to remind us that Ron at Pulaski was in the coma, uh, start to wake up and she starts to, she starts screaming and she's having flashbacks. And we see the night of the, the night that happened. We see Laura being murdered. We see a, a bloody Laura screaming, um, and then we Almost get our, vampire like that, that yeah. screaming Laura. Oh yeah. yeah it's hard. Oh. This is the third man. And it's this guy with long hair and it's the guy with the jean jacket. If you go back to season one, it's the guy that Mrs. Palmer saw in Laura, in the vision in Laura's bedroom. Um, right. one of the most horrifying looking people, actor Frank Silva, um, in this role and watching this whole end scene. And this is the last scene before the episode ends. I was com- like, I was completely horrified. I turned on every light in the house. It was just, it was so scary and disturbing. I forgot how disturbing it was. Yeah. Uh, they, they do, they do a few things that are, um, edgy yeah. to say the least for primetime television of the early nineties. Yeah. And this was, this was, I mean, this is more than edgy, Tom. This is like straight up horror movie stuff. Yeah, um, no, yeah. absolutely. Oh. Uh, I'm with the edgier, the other edgy stuff is Bobby and Shelley's scene, which we'll, we'll yeah. get to in a bit, but, yeah. but yeah, they, they're, they're pushing on all the boundaries. Yeah. Oh man. All right. So that's the case, right? So a lot of recap, but we move forward a little by, with the introduction, introduction of the third man. So, yeah, it's like we wanted to, and they did a good job of this. I think we wanted to start the season refocusing the story. Yep. Uh, and and as far as the case go, the the focus is who shot Agent Cooper and who is the third man. Yep, those are our big mysteries. Right? Yep. So if we with go- the I guess the sub mystery of when when are we going to see the owls not being what they seem and the <laughs> right. the thing without chemicals pointing. Right. Exactly. Yeah. But so we'll see though. It's the first episode, Tom. We got we got twenty one more time. of these. We got yeah, time. We got time. We've already um, got a smiling bag right right away right off the bat. <laughs> so you think that would be enough to fill in a two hour premiere? But no, there's a lot more stuff going on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it feels like that's it, right? That should be an episode. Right. Uh, but of course, the other thing that we left at the end of last season was Audrey with her father in One-Eyed Jacks. Uh, and, and so early on in this episode, we see her able to fight her dad off by closing off the bed curtains, oh, so uh, telling him he should go. And then when he finally doesn't give in, grabbing a handy mask off the wall that happened to be there. Yeah. I, I mean, and so this is the whole, I mean, you know, him, Ben Horn as the owner of One-Eyed Jacks likes to try out the new girls and nobody wants to see him. <laughs> Like, nobody wants this scenario to play out. Um, no. But, like, when she's hiding in the bed with the curtains drawn and telling him to go away, she knows it's him because she saw him or she she hears his voice. Does he not recognize his daughter's voice? Like, she wasn't. No, I wondered about that, too. Yeah. 
because once she puts on the masks and says, go away, I'm shy, she does try to change her voice. She, she sounds does, a little yeah. less like Audrey then. Yeah. But yeah, before that, it's very clearly Audrey. Right, yeah. Well, I guess he wouldn't, the last place he'd think his teenage daughter would be would be the whorehouse that he owns. But still, it's kind of weird. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, the other thing is the idea that maybe that is somehow something he's like, oh, I like that she sounds like uh, Yeah, oh, anyway. Don't even finish that sentence. Though. Yeah, right. Yeah, don't. Uh, but luckily, Audrey is saved by Jerry saying, yelling to Ben that they have a uh, they have a problem. Um, and so Ben is telling her that uh, Ben's being very playful and he thinks that she's just being, you know, kind of coy, shy, new girl. And so he tells her, I've got to go, but next time... I'll do, we're going to play my game and it's a fun game. Everybody wins. Yep. And I was like, Oh, Oh, he man. compliments her on how yes. she keeps a man interested with yes. her games. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so, so it leaves it at that. Um, so later in the episode, we were, we, we, we returned to one eye Jacks. Presumably this is the next day. Um, and, uh, Oh no, I'm sorry. in that same night, um, we I get a, uh, an important moment where Blackie is in her office, the head of One Eye Jacks, and she seems kind of out of sorts. Um, and turn and Jerry comes in, and turns out Blackie is a junkie, and Jerry has got her fix. And- yeah, it's one of the weird times when she does not seem in charge and confident. Every yeah. other time we see Blackie, she is on her game. She yep. commands the room. Uh, but apparently Jerry is her Achilles heel because he's also her dealer. Yeah, and so and and she's just as trapped as the girls that she's helping trap, I guess. Right. Because they are, you know, stringing her along via heroin. The and I remember watching this as a kid, not knowing what that rubber tube that she took out of the draw was for, like not knowing what this was. And now as an What's adult, for? Uh, uh, thanks, Tom. <laughs> Go watch Train Spotting and then come talk to me. <laughs> but yeah, oh, the one with young Obi Wan. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the the young innocent teenage Ron not knowing about heroin use, I, I didn't I didn't quite get this, and now I'm like, oh, I, I, I mean, see. I was in college, so yeah. I had I had a few years on you, but I also didn't know exactly what it was, but I knew like, oh, that's a drug thing, and uh, right. I wouldn't know how to use it, but I know what I mean. Yeah. Well, um, but so later in the episode, it's the next day, and uh, we return to Blackie's office where she's getting a massage from two of the girls that work at One Eye Jacks. I mean, yeah, why wouldn't you? On her fainting couch, um, and Audrey is delivered wearing a little black nighty and and. A, the, a, a bouncer type has has delivered her to Blackie, and yeah, she's out of uh, she's out of her one eyed Jacks costume. Right, yeah. So so now my question is that did Audrey Audrey's never left? Right? No, like, she's been locked in her room. Well, no, yeah. So her room was locked, and so she comes in demanding to know why her door was locked, and and you know all this sort of stuff. And Blackie starts to get mad at her about Ben not getting what he wanted, and Audrey's kind of playing it, saying, "Oh, he's not my type, and neither are you, Blackie," and whatever. And so then Blackie gets in that position of power and tells Audrey that you know uh, that when she works, when Audrey works for Blackie, everyone is her type. And so now, like, which also, come on, Audrey, you had to right. have known that was the answer. Right? So, what's the deal with the perfume counter girls? Do they go to One Eye Jacks and never come back? No, but she didn't come as a perfume counter girl. Remember, right. Audrey's oh, yeah. story was that she was a working girl from Canada. Right. Right. So Blackie isn't thinking this is a girl she has to return to the department store right. and treat with kid gloves. This is an entirely different I can just, situation. I can just keep her trapped in my in, – Yeah, in, yeah. Oh, so weird. So, so weird. Um, so then we return to Audrey later at the end of the episode when she's in bed back in her little One-Eyed Jack's outfit. And uh, and she's praying to Cooper. She's talking out loud to Cooper, asking for his help, asking if he saw his note, like trying to connect to him. And this is kind of sad. You know, like this whole like she's she's in over her head, um, 
and it, it just made me kind of feel for her and and also wonder so is she, like has in this meantime did any other johns come through like did she have to yeah, work right. at all you like, don't know. yeah <laughs> so and and it would be a pointless scene if it weren't for the fact that cooper is talking to midgets and giants right yeah. Yeah. So there's a part of your brain that says, well, maybe in this world he gets her message yeah. somehow, yeah. you know, telepathically or something. Yeah. 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 So, um, so maybe we, the giant brings the message. Well, the giant did bring the message. The giant yeah. actually I hadn't even put that together. Maybe the giant heard her prayer because he does tell Cooper you missed something. You yeah, forgot, forgot about something. something. Yeah. Although, come on, giant. If you really want to answer her prayers, you just tell him, just hey, tell- Audrey's up in one-eyed jacks. You better get up there and save her. Yeah. Oh, man. So so presumably Audrey is now trapped at one-eyed jacks. So we'll see about that. Um, so moving over to the Palmers. Um, a little, We got a little more time with the Palmers. We see Mrs. Palmer's back. Uh, at the beginning of the episode, it's, it's the morning of, you know, after the insanity of the night before. And Mrs. Palmer and Maddie are sitting on the couch having coffee. And I like, they're just making small talk. And I like how Mrs. Palmer asked Maddie if she misses her family, which I really feel like is a subtle way of her asking, are you ever leaving? Don't you want to go home, <laughs> Maddie? Want, like, why are you still here? I mean, the funeral's <laughs> over, honey. <laughs> Um, but then Maddie starts talking about how she saw a vision on the rug and, but gets interrupted, uh, with the, uh, the, a great entrance of Leland Palmer. Dressed- oh, <laughs> dare I, dare I sing? Yep. Go Mercy for it. Notes and dozy notes. <laughs> <laughs> My grandma used to sing that to me and that grandma was alive when this first aired. That and that was, out? that was just an extra creepy layer to that scene. I had never heard that song before. And it's the, and watching this again, I was like, Oh my God, I forgot how weird this is. It's, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So Leon, Leland is, uh, dressed in a suit and, uh, his hair has turned white. And he's singing, and presumably he's in a good mood because he thinks he killed Laura's killer, right? Ah, right, of course, right. Yeah, so the- he he was at he went to the hospital and he smothered Jacques. We pres- we saw that yeah. at, at the end of last episode. Yeah. So yeah, he thinks uh, justice has been served, and for whatever reason that caused his hair to go white, um, and now he's you know he is he's in great shape, and uh, you know and so he's he's I'm going to go back to work, and so he leaves. And Mrs. Palmer leaves as well. And then we get Maddie looks at the rug again and sees the vision again uh, in a very bad effect of blood appearing on the rug. And she starts screaming. Was it blood or coffee? It was just a kind <laughs> of a really, dark state. It was really brown, wasn't it? It was <laughs> could have been the dog, you know? I mean, they don't have a dog. So um, we see Leland briefly again early in the episode when he returns to the Great, uh, to the great Northern Hotel um, and walks in on Ben and Jerry uh, strategizing, once again singing. And again, I love how Ben and Jerry deal with Leland because as opposed to dealing with crazy Leland, they just start dancing. Right? Well, and yeah, they, they just join in. Yep. Right. Like it's it's kind of it. It is very Lynchian. Like there is yeah. no logic to Ben and Jerry doing that. Right. But Jerry particularly has shown that he's a little bit off. Yep. Uh, and Ben is certainly not. A total straight arrow yep. so you just gotta let yourself run with it yeah weird but we never they, they don't they don't they don't send leland away they don't they, they just kind of it, it leaves it at that and we just assume that leland just spent the day back at the hotel working so who knows um because we don't see him again until later in the evening when we're welcome back to the hayward's house uh for for a lovely dinner 
of the Haywards and the Palmers. It's Supper Club. It's Supper Club, yes. And so now this is all, I'm fat, like this revisiting of Twin Peaks, there are different things I'm interested in now. I'm fascinated by the Haywards now because, <laughs> because, uh, remember we talked about Donna's little sister in the, in the pilot of the second episode when Donna right. snuck out, right? And then she disappeared. Well, now the little sister's returned, but wait. There's a third Haywood sister, Gersten. Yeah, where'd she come from? No idea. And so she is addressing the dinner table in a fairy princess outfit because she has gotten the part in the play as the fairy princess, which means that she that's why she's wearing the costume, which is a little weird. Like the day you find out you get the part, you're just going to – maybe she's a method actress. She just gets into the costume. <laughs> Like, and she looks like 15. She doesn't look She's like 10. She's a very young method actor. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Absolutely. Um, but, uh, uh, by the way, that's Alicia Witt, who it? you probably have seen. She's been in Nashville in a recurring role. Oh, wow. She's been in Justified in a recurring role. She was in The Mentalist and Friday Night Lights. Like, yeah. she's she's been in Law and Order, Criminal Intent. Like, she's been in a ton of stuff. Yeah. Um, I did and not really can play her. piano. Yeah. Also, also what I noticed was, um, uh, Mrs. Hayward in the wheelchair. Remember we talked about her in season one. I did not realize that she was, pl- she's the actress's Mary Jo Deschanel, uh, Zoe, oh, yeah. Yeah, like her yeah. mother. Yeah. And the, and the, and the bones Deschanel. Yeah. yeah. And the, the, the wife of Caleb Deschanel who yep. directed episodes. And so I'll keep it in the family. But, um, uh, but yeah, so they're having this supper club and for whatever reason, Leland showed up in a tux. Yeah. You know, because he's a fancy guy. And Mrs. Palmer's dressed nicely. Like she put on some makeup and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Everyone else is dressed normally, you know. So, mm-hmm. um, but so uh, before they have dinner, uh, the middle sister, I forget her name. Oh, Harriet. Harriet. Uh, has written a poem about Donna and Laura. And so she's going to read it before they eat dinner, which again is weird. Um, but Gersten accompanies the poem on piano. Um, and then they proceed to eat dinner while Gersten continues to play piano for them, which I thought was weird. Like she doesn't get to not eat. just piano, but plays Mendelssohn yeah, over exactly. the entire supper. Yeah, so, so Lynchian, so Lynchian. Um, and at that dinner, remember earlier we said Dr. Hayward had a lot to do. Well, he falls asleep at the dinner table. <laughs> yes, because it's been a long day. The guy's had a lot. Like he was up all night. He probably didn't get any sleep. Yeah, exactly. Uh, a n- nice piece of detail there. Yep. Also, uh, just real quick going back to the poem, don't forget that Leland gets up and hugs Harriet. And yes. you all know that Leland's, you know, a bit on edge about this. And so this poem could have gone very horrible and made Sarah Palmer start screaming and crying again. But it, it doesn't do any of that. So it's one of it's one of the good examples of building you up to expect something and just pulling it. I'm like, no, actually, yeah. you know, Leland looks like he's really dealt with it. Now. Well, because they say they save that because then lately. So Dr. Hayward, uh, Leland kind of ribs Dr. Hayward for falling asleep. And so then Dr. Hayward kind of counters back at him and says, you know, hey, what happened to your hair? And Leland explains that he really feels as if he's turned a corner, that, you know, he's still sad and has a really deep sadness, but he's, um, you know, but he's, you know, ready to move on and, and you know, has and is dealing with it. Um, and he just wants to be happy so much so that he just starts singing Get Happy um, and gets up from the table and starts singing Come On, Get Happy, you know, and then makes Gersten start playing the piano and, and Leland starts singing faster and Gersten's trying to play faster to keep up and this it's it's going faster and faster and faster and everyone at the table is enjoying it except for if you noticed Mrs. Palmer was starting to cry and, yeah, Don- and yeah. Donna was starting to cry. Maddie- Donna was laughing and crying at the same time. Yeah, yeah. And Maddie's loving it. Maddie's cracking up, but Donna started laughing, but then start- ended up crying. Um, and then finally it-, it climaxes with Leland collapsing 
um, uh, after speeding up on the song and falls over, um, and Dr. Hayward giving him smelling salts and him going, oh, I don't know what came over me. And so, yeah, just very weird behavior still. Well, and Leland says, I feel happy yeah. after passing out. Yeah. This is a very classic psychological situation of denial, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like he he is denying that he, in inwardly he is still feeling bad and guilty and awful and 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 that's why he passes out but he is in such denial that even after he wakes back up with the smelling salts he just wants to move on to begin the begin yeah yeah oh, oh leland this is just the beginning of the leland white hair fun so yeah uh, yeah all right, so that's the Palmers. Um, we had mentioned Ben Horn after unsuccessfully uh, having sex with his daughter. Um, he's, he's back. Don't sugarcoat it, uh, Ron. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what happened. Uh, he's back at the Great Northern Hotel, and, and him and Jerry are going over the, the, the problems that they've got to deal with. Um, again, with, with in the beginning of the episode, with more exposition, explaining the mill and Hank and Catherine yep. and all that sort of stuff. Um, and then they dance with Leland. Um, and then later in the episode, we revisit them back in the hotel. And I love, again, the lynch length of time spent on something that has nothing to do with the episode. But we get a walk and talk with Jerry and Ben walking through the hotel as Jerry is explaining to Ben about some French food that he's just had delivered. Uh, yeah. In and a, it's detail. Yeah. It's a head. Yep. If you missed that, yep. he says they take the head yep. and then and then the rest of everything sounds like dessert. Yep. So I'm actually didn't find anything. I, I did a, a very short amount of looking to see if there was anything like this. But if anyone knows, like can say, oh, no, Jerry is describing this food. Uh, e- email us feedback at damnfightpodcast.com. I'd like to know. Yeah. Um, and, and they never showed it. He had a box, but they never yeah, opened it. So we don't know what it was. Yeah. And then Ben interrupts Jerry to ask if he's seen Audrey. And, yeah. Jerry, and Jerry's like, no. And so then that, yeah, she's yeah, around. Moment, yeah. Um, and so then they walk into the office and there's Hank waiting to meet with them uh, in reaction to the exposition earlier. And they grill him. They say, what's going on with Josie? And Hank says, she left town. She wanted to get away from the heat. And uh, they say, what's up with Leo? He goes, he's in a coma. You know, I couldn't, uh, you know, I, I shot him through the window, but I couldn't go in. Um, he said, and Hank says, he was inside chopping wood and I shot him. And Jerry picks up on that. He goes, chopping wood inside? And Yeah, you know Leo. <laughs> yeah, and then he does it again. And he goes, yeah. And, he, and it's, it's, it's increasing in anger as Hank is saying to Jerry, yeah, you know Leo. And I love J- that, that Hank doesn't change his response at all. Yeah. just makes it louder in response. Yeah, and then they just move on. They just accept it. <laughs> like, oh, well, okay. If he didn't change his story, he must be telling the truth. Yeah. So, um, and then they also update on Catherine, and Hank says that I called her, told her to go into the mill, and saw her go in. And so they assume that she's dead, and they assume, and Ben is confident uh, that they're going to pin the mill fire on Catherine and Leo working together. So confident that uh, he would, if that doesn't happen, he would give up sex, which made them all laugh. Yeah, because that's, uh, that's a hell of a bit of confidence on yeah. Ben's part, but could be good for Audrey. Yeah. So, um, all right, so moving on, uh, we got Donna, uh, Donna Hayward. Um, now this is, and I'm gonna, I want to mention this in the note. This, but we had a couple of appearance changes throughout this episode as they come back from the hiatus. Um, but Donna, throughout this entire episode, is a completely different character. Oh, really? You think she's completely different? <laughs> I, think I mean, I know different. she definitely is trying to act sultry. Yes, and she's trying to act grown up. Yep, and and. And and it makes you wonder what the explanation for that is, right? So and 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 why I note this so so um, midway through the episode, at, we cut to the diner, and Donna is arriving to uh, 
to meet Maddie, and she's wearing this blue dress skirt outfit, and her hair is much like in the first season, her hair was back either in a ponytail. Yeah, she was the good girl. Very reserved or whatever. And now it's like out and flowing. And I remember watching this going, oh, wow, she looks different, you know? Yeah. And um, she had asked Maddie to bring Laura's sunglasses with her. And Maddie gives her the sunglasses and Donna puts them on and they're like big, you know, retro 60s sunglasses. And she takes out cigarettes and starts smoking. And I'm like, I don't think she smoked. And it's like very – of all the like dis, like not comfortable things in this episode, this was the one that got me the most where this just seems like out of nowhere. Well, at this point, Donna is becoming Laura. Yeah. Donna has James. Yep. Donna is learning more about the, the weirdness uh, that, that Laura was into. And now she is putting on Laura's sunglasses. She's starting to smoke. Like, she is heading down Laura's path. Right. And which is, you know, creepy considering she's sitting across from somebody who looks just like Laura. Right. Yeah. It, it is actually Cheryl Lee. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so so as she's doing that, they're recapping the night. You know, they, they, So at this point, they haven't seen each other since the night before with the Jacoby break-in. And, and they know James is in jail, but they don't know why. They're wondering if they it's because of Jacoby, but they're like, no, I don't think so. So they're trying to compare notes and that sort of thing. Um, and then Norma interrupts them because somebody dropped off a letter for Donna at the diner, which... Makes me wonder why is Donna getting mail at the diner? Small town. <laughs> is it really? Like Yeah. But <laughs> like, you can't just put it in her mailbox at her house. You didn't want my you didn't want Doc Hayward to run across it, did you? True, yeah. So um but it's a note that says to look into meals on wheels. Um and so that leads uh Donna to uh to call later in the episode to call Norma and ask to take over Laura's Meals on Wheels route. Um, and at the same Again, time, Donna becoming Laura. Yep, now she's exactly. even going to take over the Meals on Wheels route, which was, was all part of the mystery of, yeah. of who was Laura interacting with. Right. And I like that Donna's like, can I, I really want to help. Can I take over Laura's Meals on Wheels route? That's great. Oh, can I borrow your car to do it? Yeah. Because <laughs> like, I also don't have a car. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then later on at the dinner, in the middle of the dinner, Donna leans over to Maddie to explain to her that she's signed up for Laura's Meals on Wheels, like very rudely, in fact, in front of this entire dinner party. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, and was it uh, – do I have this right? Uh, was Laura's last day on Earth, she yeah. did her Meals on Wheels route. So yeah, it's part yeah. of the investigation. Yeah, too. exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so, yeah, so that's the whole Meals on Wheels stuff. And then uh, before dinner, Donna goes to visit James uh, at the police station. Um, which again, another Lynchian thing. I mean, did you notice when she walked into the station? Notice what? Uh, the, the, the somebody whistled. Oh yeah. No, it was weird. Yeah. Uh, cause there was no one there. Right. And I'm not, except Lucy who didn't do the whistling and I'm not sure who would have whistled Hawk. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. And so what was funny is that, so this is a case of, um, uh, I don't know if this is diegetic or not diegetic sound because it was a whistle, but it's indicating that she's sexy. Um, but what I thought was funny was I watched this on Netflix and I had the subtitles on from earlier in the episode cause I wanted to write down what the giant was saying verbatim. And I just left the subtitles on. And when that whistle happened, the, the caption was wolf whistle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what it was. Yeah. Uh, so I it guess probably was straight out of the BBC sound library or yeah, something. Yeah. I, I can't whistle, but if I could, it's that, it's that, it's that. <laughs> exactly. Thank you, Tom. Uh, so apparently that's called a wolf whistle, um, yeah. which, uh, which I never knew had a name. Oh, uh, yeah. No, totally. There it is. Yeah. So, uh, uh, but yeah, so she, uh, somebody whistles when she walks in again, continuing the sexiness and 
Hawk just brings Donna right into the jail to go see James. I was like, don't they have a room for them to sit in or something? Like she just yeah, I'm here to see James. You know, it's small, small town again. Yeah. And nobody and and Daryl he leaves him alone. Nobody's monitoring her as she like reaches through the bars and starts to kiss on James and everything. Like that's just that's just okay. You allow that with the prisoners. Uh, but so James is curious why Donna's smoking, why she's acting different. Uh, Donna wants to kiss, but James doesn't want to. Um, and Donna's like, what? I can't want you. You know, so we got some uh, tension there. She sucks on his finger. Yeah, she bites his knuckle, which is weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So there you go. So uh, yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's, uh, that's Donna's little world. Um, now back to the hospital. See, there's a lot going on. Yeah. Uh, no, but these are short. So she, uh, we had heard earlier that Shelly was in the hospital because of smoke inhalation. Uh, so Bobby goes to visit her um, where he, he plays dumb about knowing what happened to Leo. And Shelly tells him that Leo's in a coma. He was shot. Um, and then she tells Bobby what happened at the, uh, at the mill. And then Bobby decides this is a great time to, for some light petting. <laughs> um, of course. <laughs> Why, I mean, they're high schoolers, yeah. right? He, he starts pretending to play doctor and to examine yeah, her. And this is the other edgy moment where yeah. he starts to stick his hand down her shirt. Yep. Now, because of primetime television rules, he stops as if he's measuring her heart rate. Right. Uh, but again, Lynch is just like, let's see how far we can get with the sensors here. Yeah, that, that was weird and creepy. Um, but so as they're making out and doing that weird little game, Shelly tells Bobby that she loves him. And Bobby, in a non-convincing manner, says, yeah. I guess I love you too. <laughs> well, and this is the classic situation where he wouldn't say it back. He'd say something else and there'd be tension yeah. between them. But I think he actually discovers that he wants to say it back. And even yep. though he's cool, Mr. Bobby, he shouldn't. He, it's his way of going, wow, you know what? I do. And so I will say it back. Yep. But you get because he says it twice. But, but it comes off very disingenuous. And, and I can watch it and see, oh, he's realizing that he loves her. But he's not very convincing in telling her that. And the last shot on Shelly as he leaves gives a little. Like it's a, I feel like it was a a image of mm. doubt in her eyes. Yeah, yeah. You know? So, um, so he goes to the diner. Um, and oh, I should, uh, Norma visits Shelly. Uh, one little Shelly note. Uh, Norma does visit Shelly where she says, "I'll bring you some food," and Shelly says, "Bring me an entire pie." Yeah, because the again yeah, hospital food joke, yeah, right? Exactly. Yep, there it is. Uh, and Bobby had warned her that eating the hospital food yep. would kill her. So um, keeps on recurring. Um, but then Bobby's when Bobby up. comes into the diner, yeah. we okay. I'm sorry, no, we gotta we gotta talk about the dad first. Yeah, 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 yeah. So when Bobby when Bobby walks in the diner, he goes to the counter, and he his father is there having a piece of pie and ask him to join him. And the actor Don Davis, who plays his father, is one of my favorite. Like just his cadence and the way he talks. And he, they have some. Realize these are father and son. And he asks him, he's like, "How how was school today, son?" And Bobby laughs, like, "You know, he didn't go to school, right?" Yeah, right. And then he says, "How was work?" And he goes, "Work is fine." And he says, "You know, what did you do?" And he's like, "That's classified." You know, it's all very, you know. But then Bobby's dad shares with him a vision, and he notes that it's not a dream. Where a dream is just a recounting of the day's events for the subconscious to process, um, but he has a vision of himself on a grand palazzo and his, his wonderful mansion and it's beautiful and his son is there and he was happy and Bobby gets all choked up and it was just like this nice, like emotional moment between father and son, which I felt came out of nowhere but was lovely. And what a fantastic Don Davis moment! Yeah, yeah, right. Like his his patter, his rhythm, his delivery is so perfect. For the for this scene, you yep. you know that Frost wrote this to take advantage of, of of the Don Davis that he had at his disposal because the whole thing is just beautifully portrayed, but in a very military 
style and it brings Bobby to tears. Yeah, yeah. And and Lynch just and they and they let it breathe. They let it be yeah. this thing and it doesn't help any of the storylines. I mean, we know as we watch as we watch the rest of the series the season that uh Bobby's father will become a bigger part of it and maybe that's the beginning of it, but um it was just a nice little moment. It was good. Um and, and yet then, and yet when they get up to when da- when dad gets up to leave, he shakes Bobby's hand. Yes, yeah. After this description of this glorious love for his son and they hug in the vision, he shakes his hand. And also, I think that 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 right there shows you the problem Bobby has with this relationship. And also, I'm pretty sure he left Bobby with the bill. Yeah, also that. Because he just walks out. He just walks <laughs> yeah. out. Um, as, and as he's leaving, Hank stops the major and says, how was the pie? And he's as great as always. And they salute each other, you know. And then Bobby looks over and, and Hank kind of gives him, you know, kind of a look. And Bobby has a flashback to the night before and realized that it was Hank who shot Leo. So Bobby knows. And I think Hank knows that Bobby saw him. Because why else would Hank lie about why Leo was inside? Yeah, maybe. I, yeah, I don't know if Hank knows it was Bobby or that there was somebody there. Yeah. Yeah. So who knows? Um, fun times at the diner, though. So um, so going back to the hospital, we had mentioned Big Ed was there and Cooper and Truman had stopped to visit with him. So Nadine uh, last night had taken all those pills, tried to kill herself. So Big Ed was there still in his undercover clothes. Um, and right. we get a very long scene of Big Ed basically laying out the exposition of him and Nadine's relationship, answering all the questions we had about why he's with Nadine, why he's not with Norma, what happened. Um, And this scene was both touching and hysterical because while Ed is telling the story, you every now and then cut to Albert and Truman who are having coffee listening to it and Albert's facial expressions reacting to it are priceless. Yeah, no, yeah. he's laughing at the whole story yeah. about about especially when it gets to Ed talking about shooting uh, Nadine's eye out because the buckshot ripped skipped off a rock. Yeah, it's so bad, but yeah, no. But it turns out Ed and Norma were high school sweethearts. They were going to be together for some reason. Norma ran off with Hank, and Ed was upset. Nadine was there, so they ran off and got married. Uh, half half drunk, half serious, you know. Yep. And then uh, when they but then it turns out Norma hadn't even slept with Hank. Yep. Oh, which is just but it was tragic. too late. It was too late, and and he was gonna ask Nadine for an annulment, but then he shot her eye out, so he felt bad, so he stayed with her. <laughs> and again, another example of catching people up who haven't seen the show yeah. about the love triangle, but giving us who have seen the show extra information we didn't have before. Yep. And um, James comes to visit Ed, uh, and which I guess they let James out of jail. Um, and they're not gonna hold. Him I think that was implied after yeah. the after he gave the the necklace back. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and then finally, Norma was visiting Shelly, and as she's leaving the hospital, of course, she sees Ed with Nadine, and we get the swelling Twin Peaks love theme uh, as you realize, you know, Norma's still in love with Ed. So, oh, the triangles. Oh, and Hank wants to know how Shelly liked the flowers, and Norma's all shaken up. Right. Yeah. So Hank knows something's up too. Yeah, that's another moment with with Hank and Bobby when they made. That's when he. Yeah, because yep. yeah, because what happened was that he says goodbye to Bobby's dad. Then Norma comes back. He says, "What about the flowers?" And then Norma sh- shrugs him off, and he kind of looks at Bobby like women, you know, like that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. So. Yep. Um, all right. Finally, the last group of people we need to check in on are the Martells, Pete and Josie. Uh, this is the end of the episode. Earlier in the episode, we did see Pete in the hospital as he uh, was served his dinner. Right. He, he leans in to look to smell it, and the smell is so bad. He, has he to takes put the it. nasal cannula out of his nose for a moment, and then 
regrets it immediately. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but then later, in the, at the end of the day, we see Truman was kind enough to drive Pete home, uh, who's still suffering from smoke inhalation. Um, and Josie's not there. She's left a note that she went for an emergency trip to Seattle. Um, no, she said, I had to leave the town on an emergency of business to Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like, is that racist? <laughs> <laughs> just, a, just a bad grasp of the English language, I guess. Yeah. Oh, and the best part is, I'll phone you when I arrive. Hope you did a good day at the mill. There is ginger beer in the fridge. Yeah. I, st- I love Josie and Pete's relationship. You get, you get a real sense of, yeah. yeah. Um, but Truman is worried at this news because now Josie skipped town without even telling him. And we know why she skipped town. Um, but Pete Shopping. just Pete just thinks she goes she, she goes to Seattle for a secret She's vice. She's got a secret vice. <laughs> uh, shopping. Uh, and so then uh, Truman tells Pete that they haven't found Catherine and that he should really prepare for the worst. And Pete is kind of sad because he thought that he'd be the first one to die. Yeah. Uh, she was plain hell to live with, but once there was some heaven. Yeah. Uh, but then we get an interesting uh, twist on things. Uh, not twist, but interesting development as someone from the, someone in the Great Northern Hotel calls the house, an Asian man with a ponytail calls looking for Josie. Um, Truman answers. Uh, sure, so Truman, the, Truman sure is comfortable in this house that he answers the phone. Sure is, isn't, he? Yeah, isn't yeah. that odd? Yeah. Uh, but the businessman who was calling for Josie and hung up uh, immediately places a call to Hong Kong. So there we go. Now we know where he came from. Wow. So that, that's that's a seeding for the season. So, and that is everything that happened in this episode. Woo! <laughs> it's a lot really, of exposition. I mean, it was a ninety-minute episode. Yeah. Uh, well, it was what. Hour 14, I think, without commercials. So 90, still. 94, 94 minutes on Netflix, so two hours on TV when it was originally on with commercials. So, yeah. So Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 94, 94 sorry. Minutes. Oh, jeez. Uh, 94. Docking Bay 94. Uh, sorry. So <laughs> I just can't do it. Um, all right. So, Diane, a note? Uh, yeah. One, one interesting note uh, for those watching along while we're doing this in January of 2017. Uh, for the first time, I noticed a Showtime bug, not a CBS bug when I played this on Hulu. Really? Yeah. So they've, they've, they've started to, uh, to move the wheels and there, there was a big Showtime splash screen before you played it. Uh, which, which means they're, they're shifting the assets over Ron. It's very exciting. Wow. Um, I, d- I watched on Netflix and I didn't, I didn't have a bug on either of them. So, uh, right. They don't do that on Netflix. Yeah, so you, yeah. yeah. Um, my biggest observation was this was the noticeably different way. Many of the characters looked for, you know, however many months later picking up yeah. season, season two, uh, Cooper's hair is longer and it looks like he gained weight. Right. Uh, James got clearly got a haircut and I think he dyed his hair a little darker. Yeah. All right. Bobby clearly got a haircut. He brought definitely. He, he yeah. Deadline. He's not as greaser shaggy as he right. was. Pretty sure Donna's hair grew out like much longer yep. than it was like. And uh, there's no of course, this is what happens because they were, you know, six months between filming or whatever. But it was just like no going from watching these back to back, like noticeably different. Like Cooper has got way more hair in that shell. So. I, I thought yeah. that was that was interesting. <laughs> uh, also, uh, going back to that old man at the beginning, it's not relevant to the plot, but the way he says the milk will get cool on you, yep. just always. I always liked the way he said that. Well, and and that and I think that that kind of goes with the, uh, my next note, which is you know the Lynchian little non sequiturs in this episode. So the, the waiter and a lot of his delivery and that sort of thing, the, the running gag of the hospital food joke. Um, when we go to the diner, when Donna arrives at the diner to meet Maddie, that scene starts with the shot of the, the truck 
pulling you know across the town and then a shot of the diner and then it cuts to a trucker very extreme close up to the camera yelling hot damn that pie is good yeah right? i mean that's a that's almost a blue velvet type yeah, situation exactly right there. exactly and then we didn't mention um the log lady who, oh, right. Who is uh, sitting in her booth while Donna and Maddie are talking. And when their scene ends, the camera cuts to the log lady who's sitting there with the log and then just spits her gum out at the wall. Yeah. Well, she spits it down, picks yeah. it up, puts it on the wall, then takes out more gum. Yeah. After taking a sip of her coffee. Yeah. Very odd. So. Um, all right. I got a couple more. Do you have anything else? Or? Uh, no, that's about it for me. What's your last one? So my, my last, well, last is two, it's, it's two in one. Um, one is that the, uh, credits are of Gerstein Hayward playing piano. The, right. And it's the first time the ending credits were not of the shot of Laura with the, with the theme music. Um, so that's a departure. But then also before the, the end credits roll, we get a dedicated to the memory of Kevin Young Jr., um, and I was just curious. I didn't know what that what what, what happened. Yeah, yeah. So I looked it up, and this is actually really sad. Um, I found the article in the L.A. Times, July 11th, 1990. Apparently, Kevin Young, who was a production assistant on Twin Peaks, his nine month uh, nine month old baby uh, died while at his huh. at the babysitters. Um, and actually, the babysitter was arrested and tried for murder. Uh, oh my gosh! Because they, the babysitter claimed that the that the baby hit a, hit his head on the table, and the analysis was that it was a blunt force trauma, like a you know a grab or a hit. Um, mm. And so a tragedy, much like a tragedy of the show, hitting Oof. one of the the staff of the show. So that's kind of yeah. sad. But yeah, so Kevin Young Jr. was the nine months nine month old son of production assistant Kevin Young on the show. So. <sighs> All right. That's a downer. What a sad note. Yeah. yeah so. uh, let's get to our town hall where we take some of your emails at feedback at damnfinepodcast.com. Jeff from Colorado wrote in and said, I just wanted to point out something in the season one finale that I thought was curious. It's rare that a shot is composed like this by accident. When Hank is talking to Josie, for some reason, he is placed in the frame so that the deer antlers look like they're coming out of his head. I have to believe that was a choice in the framing. Not sure what they were going for here, but it's it's a good it's a good observation by Jeff there. I mean, it's it, and he sent along a screen cap of it. If you go watch the last episode, you can see um, it, it makes Hank look like he's got horns. <laughs> yeah, I think it's supposed to make him look evil, maybe, yeah. maybe de- a little bit devilish or or like some sort of ancient, you know, uh, satyr like monster uh, or something. But yeah, it's it's definitely trying to paint a little picture behind Hank of like, yeah, he's not he he's a monster. Yeah. Yeah. So again, great. I mean, that episode had a lot of great framing and a lot of great. The la- the last two episodes of season one were really strong with the cinematography. So uh, very neat to see that. So good good catch, Jeff. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, keep the emails coming. Feedback at damnfinepodcast.com. You can comment on the episode on our blog, too, at damnfinepodcast.com. And big thanks to the nine of you out there supporting us on <laughs> Patreon. Uh, keep that coming. If you like this show and you feel like it's worth maybe a dollar per episode or so, uh, we've got a few rewards over there for the folks who support us. So go to patreon.com slash damnfinepodcast. Yeah, and huge thanks to everybody who's signed up so far. And hopefully yeah, maybe- 
you will, more of you will sign up. And also, we're on Twitter at Damn Fine Cast, and we're on Facebook at facebook.com slash Damn Fine Podcast. Uh, follow us there so you don't miss an episode or miss anything there. We're trying to we're having, trying to post as we get closer to the Showtime stuff. We'll get a lot more active on the social media, so definitely follow us there. But please go to patreon.com slash Damn Fine Podcast, and we appreciate your support. So. Yeah, if nothing else, big thanks for listening yes. to a Damn Fine Podcast, and uh, come back next time for the next episode, which will be episode two of season two. That's all we're going to call it. It's episode two of season two. Uh, and I believe this one's called Coma, right? In yeah, the German titles. Yeah, yeah. So, all right. Excited. See you then. I'm Tom. I'm Ron. Bye now. Bye.